Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today, on the first day of 2021, a few words about legal costs. It's a topic on the minds and lips of many, including at this time of the year when many people feeling changes in the air decide to separate. Since we receive many questions about legal costs in a variety of contexts, I thought you, my listeners, might be interested in hearing a top-line discussion about them. And in this episode, I am including in the definition of legal costs any costs related to services performed by a professional to assist in the resolution of issues related to a separation. In other words, Those are not just costs incurred in connection with a court case, but also those related to family mediation, arbitration, negotiations with the help of lawyers and others. Before I move into our subject for today, some housekeeping. Number one, this is a fabulous opportunity for me to extend New Year's best wishes to all of my listeners. And I'm going to do that now and very sincerely. 2020 was a year none of us will ever forget. It challenged, tested, and confronted us in so many ways. At times we felt provoked. At other times we felt relieved. We found strength and resilience in places we did not know existed, deep in our bodies, hearts, minds, and souls. So many people turned up their compassion and humanity to 11 in the face of their fellow humans' need and sorrow. May 2021 be remembered as the year of hope and healing for the planet in general, but also more specifically for those going through a separation, which just like 2020 can present challenges, tests, even confrontations and provocations. There is hope and healing ahead. There are people who will offer the help and compassion you need. Turn to them, 
rely on them, and above all, be kind to yourself. Number two, for me, 2020 will always be the year I realized my dream of this podcast. Thank you. A very heartfelt thank you to all my listeners, guests, supporters, cheerleaders. Each of you make this project so worthwhile. Number three, in January and February, I will be talking with some very interesting humans, professionals, colleagues, and friends. And I will be sharing those conversations with you. They may help you have a sane split and to plan your future. Stay tuned. And lastly, if you are enjoying this podcast, please tell others about it and rate it wherever you listen. Getting the word out to those who might be interested in the subject matter, in topics related to separation, is important and reviews certainly increase engagement. And now to our topic for today. When separation takes place, increased costs, at least in the short run, are virtually inevitable. They might relate, for example, to the fact that two people who previously lived together will now have to secure separate residences sooner or later. The increased costs are often connected with the involvement of a professional or more than one of them, tasked with assisting the parties in resolving All of the issues which typically arise out of a separation, issues related to children, support and property and debt division, for example. Many people who hear the words separation and professional immediately think of lawyers, but there are others and I will discuss them as well. One of the most common questions I am asked by people who initially separate is, how long will this take? And I will be discussing this topic with an interesting guest in the next short while, so stay tuned. The other very common question is, of course, how much will this cost? For years now, I have used a response which is somewhat humorous and designed to bring some levity to this serious question, but which also illustrates the difficulty associated with answering it. It's like asking a cab driver how much it's going to cost before telling her where you're going, because that is precisely the point. Generally speaking, the costs associated with involving a professional in addressing issues arising out of a separation depend on a host of factors, some of which are unpredictable and some of which you cannot control. These include the complexity of the issues you're going to have to tackle, the process selected to address those issues, the reasonableness in approach of the parties involved, and here you need to think not just about your own approach, but also the approach of your ex, and importantly, the manner in which your ex's lawyer is approaching the issues to be resolved. So to get straight to the point, if both parties and their lawyers 
are reasonable and motivated to settle the outstanding issues quickly and cost-effectively. And all of you meet with a mediator to have an informed and productive dialogue, which results in the signing of a memorandum of understanding and then a comprehensive separation agreement. And all this is accomplished after two mediation sessions. Then the cost of that exercise is significantly lower than the cost of a three-year court battle involving motions, conferences, and then a trial. There simply is no comparison. This is the reason why in this podcast I hammer away over and over again at the idea of a dialogue, at least an effort at a dialogue as early as possible to resolve the issues. In fact, Resolving even some of the issues is better than resolving none, because each item taken off the table is an item on which you no longer have to spend resources. It's dealt with, addressed, taken off your financial plate. I'm going to go back for a few minutes to the list of factors which might affect the cost and to elaborate on them a little bit. The first factor, complexity of the issues. Here are two examples. Case number one, six-year marriage. Both parties are working. No kids. They own property together and carry some joint debt. Case number two, 25-year marriage. Three kids. Two are still at university. The wife has a successful business The husband is unable to work because of a chronic illness. He is the beneficiary of a trust set up by his parents. Irrespective of the process chosen, whether mediation, court, or arbitration, case number one is, generally speaking, more likely to be resolved in a faster and cheaper way than case number two. At the very least the level of disclosure required. In other words, the amount of documentation to be exchanged to ensure the issues are understood and dealt with properly is not at all the same. Case number two will also potentially involve more complex legal issues and will likely require Professionals who have experience with these issues, those relating to the trust, the business, here perhaps even a chartered business valuator, and the impact of the husband's chronic illness on support issues. So this is what I mean by complexity of the issues as a factor in costs. Factor number two, the process selected to address the issues. What do I mean here? By process, I mean method, the how. Are the issues being addressed in mediation? After two sessions, is there progress and a realistic prospect of an overall settlement? Did either party commence a court case? Are there legal issues on which the parties do not agree and a decision from a judge will be required, possibly at a trial? Are there negotiations directly between the parties? 
with only minimal involvement of the lawyers in the background advising their respective clients. Sometimes the process of addressing the issues is related to their complexity, including their legal impact on rights and obligations. If the parties cannot agree, a decision by a family law judge may be required. So the involvement of the court is sometimes necessary, or at least the involvement of a decision maker, which may also include an arbitrator, being a person selected by the parties jointly to make binding legal decisions for them, a private judge, so to speak. But there are situations in which the parties have a choice of method. And for a variety of possible reasons, one or both choose a method which is not the most time and cost effective. The reality is that some people, and some lawyers sadly, are court proceeding trigger happy. For them, the default method is court. Starting a court case is virtually automatic at the first sign that there is no agreement on even a single issue. This is highly problematic for many, many reasons on which I touch in previous episodes and will speak about again. Court, although sometimes necessary, is very, very expensive and involves delays which are essentially built into the system and over which the parties and their lawyers have no control. The pace at which the court case unfolds relates to many factors, but these include the court's own schedule, the availability of court dates and judges. You may want your entire case to be dealt with by March, but the issue of timing is beyond your control here. The timing is dependent on the court's own schedule. And why is being part of a court case expensive? Because proving a case before the court, meaning convincing a judge that your positions have merit, that a judge should decide in your favor, involves evidence and presenting that evidence. And this in turn involves a lot of paperwork, disclosure, submissions in writing and even in person, providing evidence to the court again in paper and in person, and also considering how the law applies to the issues. All this is expensive and again, the more issues there are, the more complex they are, the more entrenched the parties are in their positions, the more expensive the court process will be. So take it from me, someone who has been working in family law for more than 25 years now. If you have the choice, any choice at all, think hard about your options before starting a court case. Do not treat that as the default. There is a misconception among the public that the words separation and court automatically go together. They do not, and they should not. And 
Again, sometimes they have to. For example, when a parent is denied a relationship with his or her children, when support is not being paid to dependents, when property is transferred into the names of others. But many, many separation cases can be resolved without court. They truly can. And the less you involve family court in your issues, the cheaper it will be for all involved. Factor number three, the reasonableness of the parties and their lawyers. You know, this is a big one, a big factor. When you get in that cab and ask the driver how much it's going to cost for the ride, he or she has no idea whether getting you where you want to go might involve driving through that road construction or getting on a ferry to reach the small island you want to visit. Will there be delays, waiting time? Will there be a ferry toll? Who will cover it? Here's the reality, and it's a sobering one. I can tell a lot about how a case will unfold when a client first retains me, if I know who is representing the other side. Some lawyers are reasonable and settlement-oriented. Others are not. In our trade, we say two things. Number one, some lawyers are firefighters and others are arsonists. And second, often difficult clients and difficult lawyers have a way of finding one another. These are generalizations, and yes... The division between firefighters, in other words, settlement-oriented lawyers and arsonists, those who add oil to family law fires, is not absolute. I, for example, am settlement-oriented first and foremost, but do not hesitate to take a matter to court if a case calls for it. And sometimes a client is angry and wanting a court fight, but the lawyer is holding them back because that court fight makes no sense. Exploring settlement is a better option for that case. But a lot of the time, two arsonists have a way of finding one another. And when they do, legal costs can escalate and literally get into the thousands and thousands of dollars. Some parties and some lawyers start with a sprint. Off to court they go, fighting hard, at great cost to everyone, financial and emotional. Every issue is a problem and needs the involvement of a family court judge. As they say, now that the separation has taken place, People who were together for 20 years cannot agree on the time of day and have a very different recollection of what actually happened while they were married, uh, about decisions they made together, those related to their roles in the relationship, financial and even business decisions. So it's a breakneck sprint at first and for some period of time. And then someone runs out of steam for any number of possible reasons, emotional, financial. Sometimes it's one of the parties to the court case. Sometimes it's a lawyer, money, 
the cost of pursuing this mad sprint can be a real factor. Settlement then becomes a more realistic possibility because reality sets in. The reality that court is seldom what anyone imagined, that it does not give one the sense of satisfaction, sense of victory so many people crave when a relationship ends. And it's very, very expensive. As you are listening to this, you might say, but I'm reasonable. It's the other side who is creating unnecessary legal costs, who dragged me to court for no reason. I hear that a lot. And yes, sometimes that is the unfortunate reality. What I would say to you in a situation like this is the following. Select a lawyer who has experience and who knows how to handle such scenarios strategically and cost consciously. I have talked about these issues in previous episodes. Here I'm talking about offers to settle, reasonable positions, conferencing, and so on. Sometimes sprinters slow down and turn to the idea of settlement when they see they're not getting the right return for their buck. They thought that by dragging their ex to court, they would get a sense of moral or emotional satisfaction, that they would win a position, the judge would give them what they're looking for but they get none of those things or not at the level they hoped for. So essentially, it's good money poorly spent. If you find yourself in that situation, whether you were the sprinter or the person who was dragged to court, it's never, ever too late to consider settlement. Don't be too proud to propose it if you were the sprinter who ran out of steam. Don't turn away an olive branch simply because you feel aggrieved by what has gone on before. Your costs overall will be lower if you settle, however you came to that settlement. I want to spend a few more minutes on ADR alternative dispute resolution, which in the family law context, we refer to sometimes as FDR, family dispute resolution. When we say alternative, we mean as opposed to court. Here I'm talking about mediation, arbitration, and parenting coordination, for example. I've done a number of episodes about these topics already. They include one called Demystifying Family Mediation and also an interview with Elena Tamari in which we discuss parenting coordination. Have a listen to those if you are interested. Fans of FDR, and I'm squarely among them, will tell you that All of these processes are more cost-effective than court. Even if you select arbitration, which is having the legal and factual issues resolved by decision of a private judge you select, the arbitrator, and there the decision is called an award, even that process can be less costly than a trial. One of the reasons 
because it can happen faster and be organized more effectively than a trial can. Here, the timing depends on the availability of the arbitrator, the parties, and their lawyers. Because the court is not involved, the court schedule does not come into the equation. And second, as they say, time is money. Often, the sooner a family law dispute can be resolved, even if it's by a decision maker and not the parties themselves, the sooner the people involved can get on with their lives, including their finances. Mediation with a skilled family mediator also gives you several cost-related options. Here they are. You and the other party can attend the mediation on your own. No lawyers present, but having received independent legal advice on the issues, each of you separately with your own lawyer. Or you can attend alone, but have your lawyers on standby by telephone if you have any questions or any issues come up as you mediate. Third option, the lawyers attend with their clients. Often this can prove very effective because everyone is at the same place at the same time, motivated to tackle the issues. In 2020, many mediators moved to the virtual format and are now conducting mediations even with multiple participants by Zoom, and I'm one of them. I'm going to leave you with the following suggestion. Legal costs can be unpredictable because they frequently involve factors which cannot be predicted or controlled with any degree of certainty. But there are factors you can control. Pick your battles carefully. Not every unpleasant comment from your ex has to involve an angry letter from your lawyer to the other side at added cost to you. Select your process thoughtfully and strategically. Don't rush off to court simply to punish the other side or because you believe a win of some sort will give you a sense of satisfaction. The cost does not justify your goal, which may be unrealistic in any event. And these are not criticisms from me, not at all. These are my genuine thoughts, which I'm sharing with you as a fellow human, first of all, and based on my long-term experience in this field. Legal costs are important to think about. If you're considering separating, once you're separated, and at all stages of your case, when you are selecting the process to address your issues, and as you're going through that process, those who had a sane split often say they were empowered by having some control in the separation journey. You do have some control over legal costs. Use that control to your benefit. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.